Welcome to Changeable. This is episode number 144, I Forgot. You're tuned in to Changeable with Dr. Amy Johnson. Changeable podcast is all about breaking habits, ending anxiety, and the ironic way change really works. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey there, welcome back to Changeable. So the inspiration for this episode came from a quote that I read in uh, Moshe Gersh's book, It's All the Same to Me. And it's a quote from the Bible, and I'll, I'll read it to you. It says, in the beginning, there was one voice. Then there were two. Now there is one. Our first step is to, at the very least, return back to hearing two voices. So it's a little uh, cryptic <laughs> until you get a little bit of background. Um, but essentially what they're talking about in this very old biblical quote was the one voice. In the beginning, there's one voice. They call that the voice of the soul. We might call it wisdom or life or truth or whatever we want to call it, common sense. It is the voice of what I would say us being lived, the voice of us being lived, which we know is not really a voice much of the time, but it's just a word. Voice is just a word. So it doesn't mean it's literally a voice, but the voice of life living us. So that I think is the voice that is the one voice that was there in the beginning. So, and then the quote says, then there were two. And the second voice is the voice of what they call the voice of ego, what we might call the voice of our little mind or personal thinking or however we want to talk about that. And, you know, just in everything I share here on the podcast and in the little school of big change, um, these two voices aren't separate and distinct. Um, but we talk about them as if they are just to illustrate, you know, just to like language kind of picks them apart and looks at them as two separate things. Um, because it helps us get a feel for things more, but then pretty soon we want to start to see that our language is just a metaphor. It's just pointing toward an illustration. And truly there's one big voice. But anyway, we're going to talk about them here as if they're kind of two separate. So the voice of the soul is the first voice. Um, then there were two. And the second is the voice of ego. So then the quote says, now there is one. So which one? <laughs> and what what they're saying is that the voice of the soul gets drowned out by the voice of ego, or not that it gets drowned out exactly, but we get very habituated to listening to the voice of ego. And so we don't really recognize or listen to voice of soul. So when it says now there is one, it's ego, it's ego only, or it's again, in language you might be more familiar with uh, from me, it's, it's us being in our heads. It's us just living from our heads and, and losing sight of the common sense and the way that life is living us all the time. So it says, our first step is to, at the very least, return back to hearing two voices, meaning that, you know, we're, we're human beings with minds that are always talking, always narrating everything, creating our identity, uh, giving us a play-by-play -play of the physical world and what it all means. And, and we're not 
once we've developed that, we're not likely to stop hearing it. It's, it doesn't tend to completely go away ever, as far as I can see. But we can see that there are two voices. And this, you know, I think this quote was so meaningful to me because this is exactly what you're all doing. It's what I've spent my life doing. I mean, this is, this is it, right? Like, hey, there's not just your head and what it says. There's something else that's always been there. We just forgot. We just forgot about it. And it's really easy to forget because the voice of our mind, it not only becomes so loud and it's all about us and we get we get so identified with it, it also feels and sounds like it's safe. You know, like it is it is our way to make it through the world. And it'll for sure let you believe that that's the case. And so so it's so well-meaning and obvious in a sense, you know, that we start to listen to our minds and and lose sight of something much subtler and quieter and less voicey, less verbal uh, that lies beyond it. You know, it just makes perfect sense that we do and we would. So it's so easy to forget. But what I think is so amazing is to see that that's all that's ever happened is that we've temporarily forgotten because as easy as it is to forget, it's also super easy to remember. Really easy to remember. So I'm working with a, a small group of people who uh, struggle with intrusive thoughts right now. We're doing a, like a four-week workshop. And I saw these four women uh, remember in our very first session. We just, we've had one session so far, one two-hour session. And they're all there because the voice in their head, that voice of ego is loud and it's unkind and it's scary and see part of them knows better or they wouldn't be calling it intrusive thoughts. They would, it would just look like life and, and it does look like life at times, but, but they have enough perspective on it. They have enough, uh, break from it looking just like life to see, oh no, this is, these thoughts are bothering me. There are repetitive, intrusive thoughts that yes, they feel true and real while they're here, but I also can see and call them intrusive thoughts, which is just remarkable if you think about it. Amazing if you think about it. And also just kind of crazy if you think about it, that we can be so afraid of something that we're calling a thought. We're not saying this is what's going to happen and it's me and it's the truth of my life. We know that they're intrusive thoughts because they're not the truth of our life. Intrusive thoughts are almost always about the things that are the least true for us. You know, the things we're the most afraid of or that that fit our true nature and our true wishes least of all. That's why they feel so intrusive. So why is it that that they also feel so real? You know, it's just it's just so fascinating how we can be kind of one foot in and one foot out. One foot completely seeing that this is an illusion and one foot also really scared of that illusion at times. But anyway, so so you know, we're talking about intrusive thoughts and they're sharing how it is for them and how scary it is for them and how real it is. And of course, in that wanting to know, like, 
how can I get them to stop? How can I make them completely powerless? They are powerless, but they don't feel that way. So these are the questions they're asking. And in just less than two hours of of exploring this a little bit and looking at like, hey, you are wide open expansiveness, total peace of mind. Everything is fine. And you have a machine in your head that gets kind of caught up in some settings sometimes. And it repeats some things. And then over time, we become afraid of those things and we identify with them. And so they get louder, uh, all in a, all out of wisdom because the machine says, Hey, it's paying a lot of attention to me. And let me say it a little bit louder, (laughs) you know? And, and so just to kind of have a little bit of exploration again, with people who are really suffering with this, it's incredible that in such a short period of time, people remembered. Now that doesn't mean their intrusive thoughts go away. It doesn't have anything to do with whether the intrusive thoughts go away or keep coming. That's, that's a separate thing. But I saw all four of them remember, oh yeah, I'm okay, I'm safe, and my mind is talking on repeat. So just as easy as it is for us to forget, and it is very easy to forget when our mind is screaming at us, and and when that voice of ego is leading us around and telling us all the things we need to do, it's equally easy to remember because it's the truth. It's the truth of who we are. And I just love that that um, that it's not about learning; it's about remembering. You know, that's something different. We've never really forgotten. It's all just a temporary masking of what we deeply know. This goes for everything in this new paradigm conversation that we have all the time. And I'm sure I've said that a million times. But you know, working with people day in and day out all the time and training coaches now in this a lot, there's there's so much that we get to see and how just pointing towards something that's true beyond opinion, beyond belief, beyond how our psychology works, something that's in that space beyond all of that, that does all the work. It does all the work. We 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 point to someone's nature we let them get curious about it. They see incredible things. Like the the truth in this does all the work. And that's because we haven't really forgotten. We've temporarily forgotten, but it's also so easy to remember. Probably the easiest way for us um, to remember, I think, or one of the easiest ways is is to see how we feel because this is our design. We're designed to feel horrible when we've forgotten. That's the only reason we ever feel horrible, ever. You can't find an exception to this. The only reason we ever feel horrible is because we've forgotten who we are and we've forgotten that in those moments, the voice of ego is is talking to us and we're identifying with it as if that is us, as if that is the only voice there ever was. That should hurt. It needs to hurt to wake us up to it. So that's how we know we've forgotten is that we're suffering in any way. You're caught up in a habit. You have anxiety, depression. You just feel horrible in a moment. 
you just had got that feeling, you just thought of something and got a feeling in the pit of your stomach, well, there you go. It's, it's just there to wake you up and show you that you've forgotten. And when we remember, we feel okay. Really, really simple. But lifetimes of conditioning have kind of painted the opposite picture. You know, that the worse we feel, uh, the more there's a real problem and the more there is to go out and fix and solve. And so we're up against that conditioning a little bit, but, you know, conditioning is, is no match for truth. So we forget easily and we, and we also remember easily. So this whole one voice, two voice thing um, reminded me of something that I wrote for my upcoming book, Just a Thought. Um, so I'm going to read you this chapter. It's actually the second chapter in the book. I may not read the whole thing. I'm not sure yet, but um, we'll find out. But it it's my attempt to kind of uh, illustrate this through a story of how it is that that we humans um, have one voice and then there were two voices and then there was one and how we're all in this together to try to return back to two. Okay. There once was a baby named Willow. Willow was born into a loud room with fluorescent lights. The midwife labeled her girl and healthy and handed her to the person they called mother. The baby's parents named her Willow, but Willow won't know herself as Willow for many months. When she does learn to respond to that label, who knows what she'll make of it. She doesn't know what a Willow is, what a mother, father, dog, or diaper are. Words and labels lump and define. Nothing in Willow's experience is lumped or defined yet. Imagine the most unbound, open, free oneness you've ever felt and multiply that by infinity. I imagine that's what Willow knew before her birth into physical form, and something close to that is what she still knows before her mind learns to comprehend words and labels. You feel that enormous oneness when you look deep into her blue baby eyes. She's the entire universe crammed into eight pounds of adorable fat and wrinkly baby skin. This newly born baby is as connected as can be with pure consciousness that is who she is. Her narrator hasn't shown up yet, so there's no constant talking, categorizing, or meaning making. There's just one universal category. This, here, now, is. As Willow grows and her brain develops, she becomes smart. She learns with amazing speed. She responds to her name and begins calling people and objects by their names. She knows what she likes her stuffed bunny hoppy, mashed avocado, watching her parents try to keep her two Yorkies from licking her chubby baby hands, and what she dislikes, sleeping in her crib, wet diapers, and sudden loud noises. Willow's world is filling with divisions and concepts, but it's still a huge, safe world. She doesn't cling to the meaning and preferences passing through. Thought and feeling move through her like clouds move through the sky. Willow feels them while they're there and naturally lets them fall away as they leave. It doesn't occur to her to her to her that her experience belongs to her in any way. There isn't a solid her to which they might belong. As Willow grows older, her narrator mind is expanding its vocabulary. By two or three years old, there's a distinct, solid-seeming Willow 
who possesses things, which she lets us know with the now popular words, me and mine. She's vaguely aware of the concepts past and future, although she still doesn't leave the present much. When a family friend asks, are you excited to start preschool in the fall? Her face lights up as she says, yes. And then she instantly returns to the toys right in front of her. At three or four years old, Willow's imagination is through the roof. She hosts incredible birthday parties for her stuffed animals where they play games and eat outrageous foods. Her mind is becoming more skilled at making things up and she falls into those imaginary ideas as if they were absolutely true. She regularly loses sight of the distinction between what is real in the physical world around her and what her mind creates. There's a fine line between Willow's thoughts and what feels true. Little by little, as Willow's brain develops, she's pulled away from the present moment and into her head. This trend will continue gradually. It will happen in a more pronounced way at times too, like when something scary happens. Something scary eventually happens to all of us. I'm not talking about being afraid of the dark or hearing a ghost story. This something scary feels personal. It shakes our foundation and threatens our sense of who we think we are and how life needs to be for us to be okay. It's often one of the earliest, our earliest traumatic memories. For far too many people, it's abuse. For others, it's being teased by the neighbor kid and feeling shame for the first time, or being disapproved of by an adult and feeling not good enough for the first time. For me, it was my parents fighting and feeling my sense of security threatened for the first time. The event itself, although sometimes horribly distressing, isn't the point. What leads us into our heads is that our mind makes the event about us in some way. It's not just that the event was not okay, it's that we are not okay. If we want to feel safe and secure again, and of course we do, nothing is more important, we better find a way to protect ourselves. But we're kids. Who's coming to the rescue? Well, the narrator, of course. The narrator. And just a little aside, I'm talking about the narrator as kind of the voice of ego here. The narrator is waiting in the wings, armed with solutions so that we never have to feel this horrible feeling again. It'll help us feel secure in the world the way we did before this scary thing happened. If the neighbor kid teased you for being too weak, your mind hatches a plan. You'll be so tough that they'll never call you weak again. You'll show no vulnerability. If your parents are breaking up and you're caught in the crossfire, you'll be perfect. You'll be so flawless they couldn't forget about you if they tried. You'll be so good that the breakup couldn't possibly be your fault. If you were abused, you'll shrink. You'll go inward, stay so small they can't find you. Or maybe you'll lash out. You'll be so tough they'll never hurt you again. Your mind's primary job is your survival. One of the ways it does its job is by crafting a solid identity a you that allows you to know who you are, complete with a host of protective mechanisms to keep your made-up identity safe and secure. Since that scary thing happened, your mind is hard at work determining who you are and who you need to be in order to survive. And just like that, over several short years, our expansive universe-in-a-body baby begins to think of herself as an individual with a name and a collection of traits and strategies to keep her safe. She goes from living in the present moment to often living in her head. She goes from living by moment-to-moment wisdom to consulting her narrator and its master plan. She goes from being fluid, letting thought and feeling pass through freely, naturally crying and then stopping, playing and then resting, 
to being vigilant, to looking at experience as if it were meaningful and personal, assessing whether it's safe or dangerous. She holds her sense of me in mind as something solid she can always rely upon. Of course, more scary things happen throughout her life. The more complex and fragile her identity is, the more her security appears to be at risk, requiring even more strategies to be formed and carried through time. It doesn't take long for our little human to forget that her mind created these plans and identities. She forgets that a scared, hurting little kid's mind made them up. They begin to look like who she is, her personality. She says, this is how I'm wired, or this is how I've always been. It's not how she's always been, but she forgets. We think this is who we are. So you can see why that quote in Moshi's book (laughs) grabbed my attention because, um, you know, I think this is exactly, obviously, I wrote about it, but I think this is exactly how it works, that we do know there's one voice. The second voice, our mind, ego, it just loves us so much. And it's just there waiting in the wings when something scary happens, you know, for the very first time in our lives, we aren't this expansiveness. We are, but we don't feel like it. We don't feel like this safe, secure expansiveness. Something has shown up that scares us and threatens us. And, and, and it's such a sign of our well-being that we have a mind that comes in and tries to protect us from that. So I know, I know it can really look like, you know, things would be so great if our mind would just stay out of it. (laughs) But, or, or, it could look like a design flaw, you know, like why does our mind have to be so smart and tell so many stories that we so easily get caught up in? But there are so many other ways to see that. And trust me, I've flip-flopped on that, especially in the early years of exploring this so much. I, for, for a long time, just could not see how the design of our mind being as smart and storytelling and inaccurate as it is, you know, how, how we couldn't have done better. (laughs) And by we, I mean, life, God, whatever created it, right? Like, come on, there's gotta be a way to get the benefits without the drawback. (laughs) And, uh, so I get it if it looks that way. Um, but, but how it's looked more over the years since then is that the drawbacks are our wisdom too, you know, what we want to call the drawbacks, the fact that we get caught up and we suffer. It's all pointing us back home. We just, we just need to get our footing and kind of what it's telling us and what it's showing us. And that's what there has, what there's so much misunderstanding around. You know, we think that when we suffer, life has gone wrong and that's not the case at all. When we suffer, we've forgotten who we are. We are that expansive, perfect little essence in little baby willow who who is caught up on a bunch of thoughts and concepts and identities that are incredibly limiting. And, and yet life is perfectly giving us feedback and showing us what we're doing. We just want to keep having the eyes to see that feedback. So that's where I think coming back to these two voices. So the last line of that quote was our first, our first step is 
at the very least, to return back to hearing two voices. When we return back to just having a sense of how things work in this way, what's fundamental and essential and default, and what's more mechanical and protective, but also not always all that helpful, not something we need to believe so much, we get the best of everything. You know, we get to be fully human in in the easiest, best possible way. And remember, I mean, again, as easy as it is to forget, it's easier really to remember. So it's not this uphill battle all the time that it feels like. It totally feels like that at times. And that's okay. But I think it's easier to see the battle. It's easier to see where we're caught up and where we're suffering, of course, because again, we suffer to get our attention. It's supposed to be easy to see. So that stands out to us really clearly. But those little glimmers of, of remembering that are always happening for us, they're there so much more than the forgetting. And they're so much easier to fall into than the forgetting. We just, we've just kind of lost the eyes to see them a little bit. So looking in that direction, being in this kind of conversation, it just, it just makes us aware, aware of what's, what's there, what's never changed, what's always been there, what's always been true. And what a relief to be able to just say, oh, I forgot. You know, not like, oh, I lost it. I'm lost. I'm stuck. All the stuff we say, I'm broken. No, none of that ever. At the very worst, (laughs) honestly, worst case scenario is, oh, I forgot. And I don't know about you, but that, (laughs) that feels like a pretty good, a pretty good worst case scenario. Hey, did you know that my two flagship programs, the Little School of Big Change and the Change Coach Training Program now have self-study versions? That means you don't have to wait until the next live group starts. You can get instant access to the Little School of Big Change curriculum or to an extensive set of lessons and coaching sessions in the case of the Change Coach Home Study course and start seeing more right away. The best part, this is awesome, is that you get to go through the self-study versions now or whenever you're ready and then also join the next live guided versions of these courses. So your investment for the self-study course goes toward the price of the live course if you choose to upgrade. It's a total win-win. You can get this content now, do whatever you want with it at your own pace, and also let me guide you and support you and lead you through it when it's time. I'd love to see you try out one of these self-study courses. You can find links to both of them in the show notes.